Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures this morning, we are in Genesis 37. It's on page 28 or 29 of the Bible in front of you. 28. 28 of the Bible in front of you, thank you, and so if you'd like to go there, we're there, but it's, you can find it on your device as well, and uh, we at this church value the preaching, and Washington Union value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures, and I pray that you, if you don't have a home church, you'd find one that does the same, that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully, and so we'll just open that, and then we'll start. Everyone's life has the makings of a novel, does it not? And some of you are going to say, amen, your life is a novel. We began a series on the life of Joseph, and it's a story about a family. And that, home, that word home, it's four letters, home comes to mind, maybe for you this morning. It's where the story begins for all of us. Stories that are wrapped up in those four letters, and they're all traced back to the roots of our families and our relationships. And all of us are traced back toward those four letters of home. And sometimes home can be the cause of very much frustration, of pain, and of hurt. And it can also be the source of a lot of life and hope and healing and comfort. But you see, the Bible does not sugarcoat this neatly wrapped up human experience. It gives us the raw details of what it means to live life as it really is. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat that. And so it doesn't present to us a Christian life that is worry-free, that is pain-free. It's real life stuff. And it is all wrapped up in the story of Joseph and his family. And so as I was kind of walked through this, and it's kind of like even reading this this week, I know that for many of us here, I know this is the source of a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And I just kind of want to acknowledge that. And I just want you to know that God has healing for you, that there is healing and hope in your family, and that there is a God who loves you and God who loves and wants to show himself and prove himself very faithful in the midst of your family journey and story. And I'm praying and believing that for our church. The real stuff of the Bible and the real stuff of real Christianity would come to find a place in your heart and place of being in whatever family circumstance you find yourself here today. But you've heard me say it before that the great truths of the Bible are all about relationships. The Bible is all about relationships with God and with each other. And it is in that light we find the story of Joseph and the Old Testament. And the story of Joseph is about a family. But how a family through this finds redemption and forgiveness, and there's hope found in the story, and how a Joseph appears out of this family. And friends, it can happen in your family too, and it can happen in mine. And as we walk through the story together, I'm just praying that the real, real, real stuff of family life and relationship life would come to a place of restoration and healing. And it's in this story where we find, church, a real God and the very real stuff that you and I are really experiencing right now. And so I'm trusting the Lord to do some incredible restoring in the midst of our families, and I'm praying that we would discover that and begin to uncover all that God would be calling us toward as families. And it's the very stuff of every real and every real person and every real life that's been placed in front of us as well. You see, at the very fabric of the fall, which was when we as human beings sinned and we first sinned, is that the very fabric of that is actually of fractured relationships within family members. And it's, it's this relational context in which this family is like split. And then Abraham, God t- taps Abraham on the shoulder. 
And he taps him on the shoulder, and then out of Abraham comes Isaac, and then Jacob, and then eventually Joseph, the last of the twelve. Setting the stage for the life of Joseph is also important because he comes from a family, and he comes from a family line. And literally, his father is named Jacob, and he literally means deceiver. And he got that name because he was a deceiver. And we're told that Jacob has a twin named Esau. And in Genesis 25, Jacob pounces on Esau coming in from hunting, and he's hungry, and he pounces on the opportunity that I am going to take advantage of him because he's hungry, and I'm going to take his birthright, and he's the older brother. And in those days, that was two-thirds of the inheritance, and he took that from him from a vulnerable position. And what's amazing about even just the Jacob story and his father and, and just so much kind of deceit, and there's a lot of envy and dysfunction, and there's so much that goes on that even God keeps his promises. And this is the scandalous nature of like the grace of God and the power of God, that God keeps his promises and his relentless and his faithfulness toward even those who are disobedient. And it does not diminish the fact that we have very, very real moral choices to make, and there are, there are consequences to the choices that we make. But it also shows that the story shows that God keeps his faithfulness, that God keeps his promises even to those who are not even in alignment with him or in his will as well. So behind and also just just a little bit about Jacob, his father, is that behind sometimes we look at our stories, maybe our family stories, and we start to wonder and we start to think about it. And there's sometimes, I don't know about you, but maybe you look at a portrait of your family and you wonder, maybe what, what's the story behind that person? What, what is that person really like? And who is that person behind the portrait? Have you ever seen family portraits as well? And so a little bit of insight into Jacob helps us. And if, and if you haven't read that, that would be great to read through in the Old Testament, the story of Jacob. But yes, even through this family, which was the source of much, uh, of much, of much, just riddled with strained relationships and jealousy and deceit and malice and envy and stubbornness. All of this, all of wrapped up within this family. Out of it comes the blessing of the world, and out of that family comes Joseph, and out of it comes redemption. And God can certainly do it in yours. And if God can weave a story like that, there is hope for you. And there's hope for your family. There's hope for your story. And there's a plan behind it all. And oftentimes, Jacob wrestled with God. And we find this in Genesis. Oftentimes, Genesis 25, oftentimes, church, the very thing that we need to wrestle with can end up changing our life. And if we're wrestling with something currently right now, we're wrestling with something in our heart. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something very personal to us. God is not intimidated by our wrestling. But we have to wrestle with it. It's a very close, this is Jacob and he encounters God and he's very close and upfront and personal. And God in this story, he, he says, I mean, right in this story, Jacob wrestles with God. It does not mean, if you're wrestling with something, that does not mean you don't have faith. It means that, the, in fact, you are wrestling through it and you're trying to confront and you're trying to wrestle through faith and, and all these things. And it's this story in Genesis 25 that gets very personal with God. And Jacob was never the same after that again. In fact, he walked around with a limp as the story goes. And know that whatever you're wrestling with, God can use for good in whatever family situation or whatever personal situation. Guys, I, and I believe this. God is in the business of redeeming lives, including families. And today takes us to the story of Joseph, Genesis 37. We're going to read 1 through 11 together, and we'll just pick this right up from the beginning. 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. 
This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Isn't that kind of strange? Like you love someone more, and the Bible doesn't sugarcoat this. Like this is not okay to pick favorites, and he made this robe for him. And now a lot of people much smarter than I have tried to figure out what is this ornate robe, and some people have said very colorful and long, and, and it's just a very elegant robe that would signify that he stands out above the others. And so an ornate robe for him. Then his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, and they what? Hated him, and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And then they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. He said, listen, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and brothers actually bow down on the ground before you? And his brothers were what? Jealous of him. And his father kept the matter in mind. So this is kind of the beginnings of the uh, story of Joseph as we walk through this. The story begins with favoritism and jealousy. They abound in this Joseph story. And might a lot of hurt be caused by that in our families? I mean, maybe you haven't been on the receiving end of favoritism in your family. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but the Bible makes no bones as to who Jacob loves. And it's unfortunate that he does love the way that he does. And unfortunately, jealousy in this family happened even before this. And it happens when, uh, what happened when Isaac, who was Jacob's, which Jacob's father, loved Esau more than Jacob, and then that Rebekah loved Jacob more than Esau, and that Jacob loved Rachel and her children more than Leah. And so this happens in this whole family. His favoritism sort of falls in this family. And he was the firstborn of his favorite wife, Rachel. And favoritism sort of marks this account of this story. And if we are the subject of siblings, any of us are subject of some siblings, more than once we may have thought or have thought that the other person's the favorite. Right? We think that the other person's always been the favorite of the family. They have to be the family favorite because of blank or of some sort of instance that they had this like one-upmanship one time that they must be the favorite in the family or they must have been the favorite. They must be the, the, the object of just favoritism in my family. They have to be. And so it's just overtly or subtly, sometimes that can start to begin to fracture things within families. And at the very notion of favoritism, and it can it's jealousy as well, can start to, to sort of break apart that. And so I just want to say this, like as part of jealousy in this conversation with jealousy and favoritism, that sin has very devastating consequences to it. And maybe it's overtly not jealousy for you, but maybe it's another type of sin that has just caused a complete rift. I mean, for the first 17 years, he's 17 at this time, he'd been raised in a family where his father's love for him was over, over one of the other, and, it, and this causes this Jacob, this Joseph story. 
Many families have begun to be torn apart because of favoritism. And in the kingdom of God, church, make no mistake, favoritism has no place. We are all sons and daughters of the king. And our intrinsic human dignity is not found in opinion, but from God and his perspective of us. We are all sons and daughters of the king. And even to those who may have been a little bit more difficult to raise or to parent, that we are all sons and daughters of the king. And so as I read through these, this, this story into this passage and consider these dreams, I just really began to wonder this. And, and, and the dreams, as far as we know, they have divine, we will find this out later, but right now they have, these dreams have these divine purposes to them. And we'll find out that God was and is and is in the business of redeeming this story. But part of me is like, Joseph, dude, what are you doing? Like, you have these dreams you already give a bad report to your brothers. Like, dude, like, what on earth are you thinking? What are you doing? Like, I can't even believe. I mean, you gave a bad report to your father, and now you're just going to, like, start spewing out dreams to your brothers. And now you really think that's going to go well. You're wearing the fancy coat. I mean, come on. You've got the father's stamp of approval. And look now, you're just going to start spewing out dreams. Why would you add fuel to the fire by saying these dreams, and they're going to bow down, and they're going to worship you and everything? Why would you even say that? It's like a head scratcher. And, like, why add that dream? And, like, why leave things hanging? for there. We get to the point as to what, in the Joseph story, as to why these dreams happen and why they do what they do and why what we get there later. But the story at this point leaves us hanging for a minute. And I just want to leave us here hanging for a second because we, I know it gets to the point where these dreams start to they interpret these, but I just want to sit here for a minute. I can imagine at that point, you've got some very angry brothers like, you say this dream, they're like, bow down and worship, and you look at those, he's the youngest, and he's 17, I'm like, this 17-year-old kid doesn't know what he's talking about, you know what I'm saying, like, I don't really understand this, and this is the dream I had, and, and Joseph's like, yeah, this is the God-given talent I've got, and I'm going to share this dream, and I just wonder, like, sometimes we all have God-given abilities, and it's up to us to either build one another up with those abilities or to tear us down. And I imagine these brothers couldn't, couldn't imagine what they were thinking. 17-year-old teenager, youngest, out here saying, oh, we're going to all bow down. Right. Man, I've got years to prove it. Those brothers are like, yeah, I've got way more many years on, on him than to prove all this. And I would have a very hard time with this, I'm sure. As a, I know I'm a twin brother. <laughs> I would have a hard time with grappling with that and knowing those news. But could it be, church, that we look at younger folks? Just this is a thought I had. Could it be that we look at those younger than us with particular giftings with an eye of skepticism rather than embracing all the, who they are and all that God's made them to be and all their giftings? Could, could it be that we look at others with younger, maybe the younger generation, and, and rather than fully embracing God has made them to be, we look at it with an eye of skepticism? Just a thought there. And perhaps none of us would take the envy as far as Joseph's brothers. And in fact, we find it here, and we'll read that in a second. But none of us would allow envy to take us as far as Joseph's brothers. But envy has far more subtle effects that can be just as damaging. Perhaps our envy and resentment of a coworker will not drive to us to arrange for his or her dismissal or transfer, but it may lead to a steady onslaught of put-downs and ridicule and insults. And we express our resentment by trying to make a colleague look bad at every opportunity or a friend. And we express and we try to make ourselves look better in comparison. 
We express concern over their poor performance and we pity their nativity and we chuckle at their idiosyncrasies and we devalue them as individuals. And we tactfully put ourselves above them and so that we can feel better about ourselves at someone else's expense. And that is sin and that's wrong. And that's wrong to do. And as I kept thinking about this chapter, I kept thinking about the response and it's just two verses down here. In verse, uh, chapter 37, we find in verse 19, they say, here comes that dreamer, his brothers say, here comes that dreamer. Notice they can't even say his name. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes out of his dreams. And clearly this has gone past the point of envy, but of revenge. And clearly, as sometimes, maybe you've heard this saying before, as the old saying goes, revenge is a dish best served cold. And maybe you're not out for revenge because sibling having dreams, per se, but you've got some envy stirring in your heart. You're frustrated with a friend over miscommunication or hurt feelings or relationships turned sour, and now it's at the forefront of your mind. And I imagine at those point in this juncture of those dreams, maybe it's like, it's, I'm not able to interpret that, but they sure do think, maybe you're like at the point where I'm just not sure there's no possible way out of this. There is no answer. I've got a relationship that, that needs mended, but I have no idea where to start with this. And I'm sure maybe at that point in this juncture, maybe that's similar thoughts as well. And you're like, I'm in this, this tension where I don't know if God's going to show up. I don't, know if, I don't know if fully this is going to work out. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't feel like God is, I feel like it's a mess. I feel like it's just a web of just, it's just all this confusion going on in my world. And I fully can't understand the brokenness my family is experiencing. And I fully can't pinpoint it all. But church, there's a God who's bigger than all of that. And he's weaving a story of redemption in the midst of it all, even if you can't see it. There's a God who is bigger than that, and he's weaving a story that we, can, we can't even fathom at this moment. And maybe you're like, I can't see the future. I can't see what, what even to do. I'm not sure what to do, but there's a God who is just bigger than that, and there's redemption possible in the midst of it all. And I love what one author says. The story of Joseph is how God is working his will through the very ordinary events of life. I imagine us, many of us have been frustrated or are frustrated or of some sort of broken by maybe a close relative or family member one way or another. And I know there's hurt and I know there's pain and I know it's there. But we know we have a God who causes all things, according to Romans 8.28, who causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And when it comes to not knowing what God is up to, where it seems as though God feels very absent and things are bleak, God is working his will through the very ordinary events of life. God is always at work and he's weaving his will through the ordinary events of life. Or maybe it's a child for you who hasn't phoned home or a relationship that turns sour. Maybe a cause, the cause for such outrage that brothers planned supreme revenge. And maybe it hasn't gone to that point. But jealousy has started to sink in. Bitterness at an all-time high. And maybe in the midst of all, of all of this, we're going to discover a God who's weaving something and doing something in the midst of it all because he is working at all times. And he's doing something in the midst of it. That we can trust a God that is involved in our stories that is proven to be faithful in the past, so we can trust a God who's faithful to keep his promises. 
A God who is mighty. A God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-consuming, all-encompassing. Forever a God who is greater than any force of evil this world can offer, church, and a God of second and third and fourth and 55th chances to those who run the other way. God is working and he is up to something. And we have to trust him in the unknowns. And we find in this story very ordinary events of life, bickering, family drama, jealousy, drama, conversations, drama. <laughs> what does this point in the story reveal to us? This point where if we stop right here, which we will, what does this story reveal to us? And reveals to any of us who follow God, reveals to any of us who follow God that sometimes life can just be very tangled can be very tangled. And sometimes complications arise from our own sin and our own doing, but can also arise from the sins around us. And we can be caught in the middle of it and the sin of those in our wider spheres of influence and existence. But we live in a world caught in a web of sin, and it's casting new webs also. But there in the midst of it all, church, is a God working out His plan, His sovereign plan, and in a good way to make something good out of it a plan that none of us can fully know or understand in the meantime. In a world chock full of those who have zero reference for God and no need or no need for God, what might it look like in our lives, church, in the lives of those who live into the kingdom of God to surrender ourselves fully to God? And that includes those unanswered questions that we have with our families currently. To really live for God in a world full of cruelty and harshness, envy, Greed, a world full of salt and light where salt and light abounds and faith meets complicated answers and gaps that can only be filled by a deep trust and believing that God is in it somehow, that God is in those conversations and God is in this somehow and that God's going to weave redemption through it and God's going to bring good out of it. That's the kind of kingdom people that we are. Just a few thoughts as we wrap up. Book of Matthew tells us in the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, that it says, Jesus, Jesus says this in the New Testament, Blessed are the, the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And Jesus is not saying, let people walk over you. He's saying, blessed are those who do the very hard work of making peace. Peace, making peace is very hard work. And he's saying, blessed are those who do the hard work, reconciling or trying to reconcile things or starting that conversation with that person that's coming to mind. And he's not saying, let sin walk over you. But blessed are those who are called peacemakers, who make peace. Blessed are those who do the hard work of peace. And could it be that God's tapping that on the shoulder for you and I today? One last thought here is this, that sin is a very real thing, and so is forgiveness. The hard work of life and family life is necessary and real life work, but it's all about doing the hard work of life together in community. And perhaps we shortcut the work of God by throwing in the towel before we allow even God's work to even start. Before we allow even God's work to take place, we say, you know what, I'm going to throw in the towel, it's over, it's done. Maybe we shortcut the work of God with those answers. Could it be that God's got something greater 
There's a bigger plan that's happening. Maybe it involves us. It does involve us. We have a God of providence, a God who sustains our souls in all of life, perpetually working out good. He can't help but be involved in our lives and our stories. Who sustains our souls in all of life, perpetually working good. He cannot, but he simply has to be involved in our lives because that's who God is. And the truth to learn now, because life doesn't get easier, if you follow God, it doesn't mean it's a worry or pain-free life. In fact, the more we do follow God, the more, oftentimes, the more complicated life becomes because our course of life bucks up against the currents of this world and we go against the currents of the culture. But take to heart, church, that God is at work in your story and God is at work in your life. And take to heart that God will do good and God will come out of this a some sort of plan of redemption and we can rest our soul in that and rest our soul in Calvary to a God who died for us and Jesus who died and rose, and rose again for you and I on the third day. And if we, if we have to hang on that today, if that's the one thing we have to walk out these doors with today, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. <laughs> and rose again for you and for me. If that's the only thing you can hang your hat on today, know that if that's possible, it is possible in your life to forgive. But take to heart that God's at work to do good and rest your soul in that. Submit yourself to him, the great processes of life. Follow him. Listen to the life of Joseph. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And we'll find in this story a greater plan of redemption than any of us could ever imagine. Will you pray with me? Worship team, will you come up?